Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. This show is sponsored by the best home inspection software on the market for property managers. We endorse and use Z Inspector as our software of choice for our team to document home inspections. We particularly like their 360 degrees camera system that produces amazing views of the interior room. Your clients will love Z Inspector documented inspections you provide them. Visit www.zinspector.com to learn more. If you are looking to enhance your tenant's movement experience, cut down on phone calls or emails to you or your staff regarding utilities, then you must connect yourself, your team, and your tenants with Citizen Home Solutions. Citizen Home Solutions takes the hassle of utilities off your hands and your tenants. Best of all, we do it for free. Build us into your tenant benefit package. Oh, and start benefiting from our revenue share program. Yes, we pay you a quarterly commission on specific services your tenant opts into. Want to know more? Give us a call today at 877-528-3824 or visit pmcpartner.com. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Property Manager Mastermind. I am your podcast host, Brad Larson, and today's guest, we're going to be talking to Sean Johnson from Home Vault. And what we're going to be doing as we kick this off is we're going to be talking through several different things on a conversational level. And it's very interesting to see what they've done at Home Vault. Now, Sean is the CEO of this new venture. And without me trying to butcher the description of what it is and who it is, I'm going to slowly introduce Sean. You know, you got to speak slow for him because he's in New Mexico and they things are on a different time level there. And so without further ado, I want to bring a real good friend of mine on and we're going to have a great conversation. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm good, Brad. Thanks for having me, man. Man, it's a pleasure. So last but two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we were able to stop by your office and stop by your home. And uh, we were able to, to check in. We were doing some RVing and we went and had a little, uh, you know, meet and greet there at the house and got to see your place. And man, what a, what a cool place it is. It's a neat place. And one of the things that we want to talk about is your new venture with Home Vault. And you're the CEO. And so this is a conglomerate of several other property management company players and property management company uh, organizations teaming up. So probably stop me there before I butcher it too bad, but we see a lot of stuff flying around about this. We see some good things you guys have been doing, some presentations at different conferences. And of course you got some good Facebook presence going on. So tell us what it is. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Um, so home vault was uh, a group of us that uh, decided to make something bigger. We, you know, we see the changes in the industry the industry is, uh, rapidly changing. I think you see something like waste management, you know, the, the waste world in the 90s, and there's a lot of roll-ups and, um, you know, acquisitions happening. And uh, we wanted to be on the forefront of that. Obviously, there's, you know, we're already big players, but we're not, we're not VC capital backed. We're bootstrapping it and trying to be strategic on our uh, acquisitions and roll-ups that we do and, uh, and make sure that we are um, really just vetting who, who we want to partner with and, uh, you know, who, who uh, we want to go forward with. And, and that's kind of, kind of the objective. Um, we want to scale to, uh, to a large number and I don't want to throw the number out cause everybody's like, Oh, that's a number, you know? Um, but, uh, 
we want to scale to a large number and just be effective and be um, effortless for our clients. That's really important for us. That, and, I know what uh, you I know what you mean about the large number because I always give Matt Whitaker a hard time. You know, they're doing <laughs> they're doing they're growing Evernest and they're acquiring and they said they want to be at twenty five thousand doors in ten minutes. And, you know, everyone kind of giggles at them and, and they're not that crazy. I'm just giving him a hard time, but you know, it, the goals are one thing, but I totally get what you're coming from. And you start like throwing some of those things out there and everyone wants to hate on it, you know, yeah. versus it, it's the big, hairy, audacious goal. It's good to have a target in mind because what that does is it allows you to break it down into smaller pieces and make more manageable, reachable goals in six months, yeah. six minutes, six years, whatever they could be. It depends on that big, hairy, audacious goal. Now, what I want you to talk about is some of the players involved in the different markets, because that's kind of a fascinating thing, uh, bringing all the different players from different areas together. So who are they? Yeah, so our partners, uh, Matt Tringali, Tony Klein, uh, Jay Baraby, Danny Pluteman, and Kristen uh, Johnson, my wife. And uh, we all, what's really cool is that we all kind of found our niche in the business. What, you know, what I think people fear is that you get a bunch of, uh, you know, the go-to person in their previous businesses and um, you get a lot of egos involved and it took us a little bit to really catch our stride but once we caught our stride we realized like there are superpowers in here people do have unique abilities and we need to uh, we need to expand and let them freely uh, you know expand on those so that we could be better as a company and we could be profitable and work together and actually achieve these goals as one you know so um, everybody has their, really their, you know, their talents and uh, we get to stay in our own lanes, which is really, really fantastic. Yeah. One of the huge challenges you mentioned is having too many cooks in the kitchen, right? There's always that saying where you have all these strong egos to doing one thing and everyone wants to be in charge. So one of the challenges, if I understand this correctly, is when you guys formed, all of you got together and formed this new entity, you really had to spend some effort and time in deciding on who's going to do what who's going to have what title, who's going to make what salaries, if there is a difference and who's going to have decision-making authority. And so I ended up, uh, I understand that you're the, the CEO, the chief executive officer, and there are several others below that. Now, Kristen also found her niche as the accounting person. I don't know if you want to call that the CFO, maybe it's just a different term, but kind of talk me through that because I got to imagine there had to have been a little bit of teeth pulling, a little bit of wrangling, you know, a little bit of hurt feelings here and there. Or maybe there wasn't. I mean, tell me how that went. Sure. I think, uh, I think there have, you know, for me, I'll just speak for myself. It's easier that way. And I don't misspeak, but um, I'm just really level-headed and I don't, I don't try to bring emotions into these things. Um, at the end of the day, we have a common goal and the common goal is to make home vault the best company we can and to serve the marketplace the best way we can. And, um, you know, for me, it was, you know, you could recognize hurt feelings, but me as a CEO, I think part of my job is to deescalate drama, um, to make sure that we are, you know, meeting the vision that we've set forth together and, uh, you know, just, just go for the common goal. And uh, sometimes we don't see eye to eye and that's okay, but there is a board, you know, the six of us are on the board and sometimes it goes to a board vote and, um, and we don't all see eye to eye. But one thing we did say at the beginning is if there's a vote then, and if it was against the way you voted, then we just need to get over it and uh, see the vision of the company and move on and, and uh, you know, support the decision of the board. That's extremely important. So, so far, so good. I mean, has there been any fun examples of that? I mean, let's, let's talk about the color of your website. 
right? So as you guys, you know, go through just trials and tribulations and knock down drag out fights over this. I mean, just for fun, do you have any good stories on that? <laughs> oh man, uh, man, we could, we could spend days probably talking about these things. Cause we did like at the beginning, we got into the nitty gritty of this stuff. And at the end of the day, we realized that these little things, we should just trust in the person in charge of them to take on, take it on. We don't have to be involved with every decision that's made. And as a matter of fact, we shouldn't be because our time is, is, uh, is better spent elsewhere. But yeah, let's, let's talk about the website color. I mean, there's a couple of us that, you know, we, we wanted to not go with green and cause green was the previous color and, uh, uh, go with something different, but we settled on green and we're happy with the branding. I think the branding is great. Um, and it's important to, when you've settled on branding is is to get behind it and and breathe it right breathe live sleep breathe the branding so you know whatever the color may be it doesn't really matter because it's really how you exude that brand to the marketplace yeah and it's interesting just for that in particular because in any sort of roll-up effort you might assume the biggest player has the first call. Now, I understand you were the, one of the bigger players that came in, you know, you could have named it your property management company.com and that's it. You guys joining me under my umbrella and that's it. But you guys decided on a neutral brand, which, which I think sets a, a good precedent, good tone. Now talk to me a little bit about your, let's say roll up acquisition growth strategy. Now, how are you looking to grow uh, and make this an even better organization than what it is? Yeah. Great question, Brad. So really our objective is roll ups. Um, that's first and foremost. I think our avatar in that is, you know, somebody that is probably nearing the end of their uh, their career in property management, um, but not quite there yet. Um, they want a couple years left, and we roll them up into the corporate, uh, you know, the corporate uh, strategy here and try to decentralize their marketplace as much as possible while giving them some support at a corporate level so they can step back a little bit. They don't have to be the go-to guy, have to make every single decision and be stressed out until their, their career is ended. Um, and so we, you know, acquire that, give them a salary in their marketplace and, um, and uh, hopefully we can get them to the point of retirement where they enjoy retirement and they don't have to think about the, the crap of dealing with, you know, the, the business and, and worried about, you know, the tenants toilet breaking at two o'clock in the morning. And we, we do want those smaller acquisitions, you know, 300 or less um, is kind of our target. Um, and that's, that's really the avatar that we're, we're shooting for. But that's different than some other acquirers out there. They're looking for the, the bigger than 300. You know, sure. they're looking for the, the five, 800, 10,000 unit acquisitions. Now here's some, here's a fun conversation. Let's kick around the differences and maybe the minuses and detractors and pluses and minuses of private money. Like what you guys are doing, you guys are basically self-funded at this point, you might have some borrowed equity at some point, you know, mortgaging your house or selling kidneys or whatever y'all going to do versus venture capital on the other side where they're just taking, you know, VC money by the millions and, and spending it willy nilly to, to make themselves an interesting career. So talk to me about what, what the differences are in your opinion. And, and maybe this will highlight some, some good points of difference for you as a go-to type of a organization for any sort of acquisition. What do you think? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great point. I think, um, I think the VC, you know, there's, there's so much talk about VC money right now and it's, you know, it's a great strategy. Um, it can be a great strategy. One thing I see that, you know, VC and it may be just, you know, the rumor mill, cause we don't get to 
peel back the books, but uh, oftentimes that they're in the red for several years, years on end. And, uh, and then they want to go uh, either to, you know, open an IPO or, or whatever the case might be, sell to a private entity, entity at some point, and then they, then they strike the, the gold, right? When, you, when you're bootstrapping it, it's totally different. You've got to be cash strong from, or strong from day one. It's just, um, you know, as a business, cash flows everything. And uh, if you get cash weak, um, I don't know about you, but airplanes don't run off, uh, run off of air. They run off of fuel. You got to have fuel in the business. Cash flow is extremely important and you got to keep the eye on the ball. So it's important to, um, to allocate your capital properly. Uh, when you when you bring on a new roll up or an acquisition, um, there there has to be allocation of capital in the proper way, and so therefore, it helps you strategically think how you bring on this um, portfolio and actually get it to be profitable from day one or or very close to how when are we going to get a return on invested capital from when we acquire this company, and uh, can we supplement that cash flow for a period of time, or do we need to make sure it's cash flowing day one? I like that position and attitude, and here's why. Because what you're seeing in, in other places is a door grab. And what I mean by that is uh, an entity will start up and or they will look to grow really, really quick by doing you know, $1 a year management fee or, or just something absolutely outrageous in the marketplace just to get a bunch of doors. And their, their goal is to grab doors and then sell, yeah. right? I would say venture capital sometimes can be very much similar to that where they're looking at the next level for the payday. So again, like you said, they'll run in the red. They're not real so concerned about, you know, charging fees. They're not so concerned about keeping owners happy or tenants happy. They just want to do a big door grab, roll up to a big number and then take it public and or sell to a bigger entity. They always talk about a five or 10 X, right? Yeah. They always talk about in the, in the single family home, residential property management space, you're looking at a, one to one and a half X revenue uh, for a multiple. And what they're trying to do is roll up 10,000 plus homes to get to 10 million plus in revenue or whatever the number is, get to that, that eight figures in revenue. That's when they think their multiples will triple quadruple into the five to eight X range off of revenue. So to answer the question, what's the point? Well, if this is done right, you could roll up a bunch of different homes, be cash positive, and everybody at the exit in a year or 10 years or 20 years potentially cashes out a lot higher than they would by themselves. That's the, the whole, like, why are you doing this, right? Because if you can cash out at a bigger number than you could by yourself, why wouldn't you, correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, together in the doors in the marketplaces that we service, we're together, we have a higher multiple just naturally because... Of, of what we've been able to accomplish. Um, was that the main objective? Part of it, but the main objective really was to, to be able to have resources beyond what we could have in our single marketplace. Now, that's um, a fun topic. So let's talk about that because I love the economies of scale that this can create. And we talked about this briefly one time on an offline conversation where, uh, you know, where have you seen economies of scale so far so let's let's spend a few minutes talking about that. Like, what has you? What are some wins for you at this point in the economies of scale game? The economies of scale. Um, I think one of them is labor. Um, I think what you can do is you can have people. You what you what you could do is you could fit similar marketplaces, and if they behave similarly, you could put labor in those marketplaces and and really have people working in multiple marketplaces, um, which has been good. 
there are new nuances that become a struggle, a struggle, you know, some marketplace, you can only do a five day notice to quit. And some of them you got to do a 14 or whatever, you know, those little nuances do become uh, a problem. The other thing is just processes, you know, having intelligent processes where they, um, where they, uh, you know, what do they call that when they uh, um, conditional logic basically off the marketplace. Um, that's, that's another economy of scale. Um, the other one is like brokerage, um, finding brokerage in, in, you know, in brokerage formats and, um, you know, in, in uh, referring out those clients out to, uh, you know, brokers out in different marketplaces has been very helpful in do, doing that on a mass scale instead of just trying to have one partner and, and you know, you can build relationships at a different level. The challenge is the relationships become harder when you're just a name and a face you have to be, you know, frontline and be networking and, and those things. Those are the, those are the challenges. They're the flip side of that. So um, one thing I was going to talk to you about too, is you guys are in the same boat as we are here at Rentworks. We're firm believers in working with remote team members. And so talk to me a little bit about how that's been working for you guys uh, and the remote team member front. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I didn't mention too, is just education. Uh, I think really education is really big. And so, um, you know, our remote team members, we have found that it's been challenging to find U.S.-based workers um, that want to do a good job, that aren't always on the hunt for new opportunities, and so you have to high turnover. And so we have looked at other places, and you've, you'll often find, and as you know, Brad, you often find highly skilled individuals that have sometimes master's degrees, and um, like right now, we're interviewing a gal that has a master's degree in project management. Um, that would not really come in the uh, U.S. based side unless you're willing to pay them, you know, eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year. Um, and as you guys know, we're stacking nickels in this business, and to, to pay someone eighty, ninety thousand dollars is not always doable, especially if it's a, you know, a a uh, property manager or something like that. So, um, but I have to say that the remote team member side of this, what's extremely important, is uniforming training and education. So we, one of the things that I loved about what we've been able to build in this less than one year from launch is an internal intranet with uh, courses, property management courses and culture courses and um, how to do a lease renewal and all of those things that we do. And that's one of my favorite things we do because I think education is so important on how we become an expert uh, to our clients. So one, one good segue into one thing we want to talk about is some of the platforms that you're using as far as getting this done, because to get all these people, remote team members working on one distinct idea, one distinct issue, you have to have a platform uniformity project. Because when you can't, when you come together, you guys were all probably using different platforms and different softwares and all this other stuff going on. And now, okay, we're all working together. So we need to get on the same page. What is the same page? Talk to me some, some about some of the challenges you saw with that and where do you guys think you're going to go in the next, you know, six days, six months in getting on the same page? Yeah, great question. This was probably one of our biggest challenges we faced from day one is that we did have multiple different platforms. You know, some of us used Help Scout, some of us didn't. Um, some were on Propertyware, some were on Atfolio. And what we decided to do is try to uh, find the platform that we can see it in the future. Um, so we kept with Help Scout. We launched it through all markets. Uh, we went with Appfolio at the time, but we are actually transitioning now to Rentvine uh, as an entire company. Our last roll-up, we, uh, we, from day one, we put into Rentvine. 
And that's been fantastic. What we found really fast is that Atfolio is a company, great products. They have a bunch of features, just fantastic features. The challenge is, is that when you're doing all of these things, you're integrating multiple companies' books and uh, you just have to have a closer relationship with customer support. You have to have people that are there at closer than 48 hours to get a response back. You know what I mean? So <laughs> we, we found really fast that uh, Atfolio was probably not who we can scale with and uh, Rent Vine is who we can scale with. And those guys have been phenomenal with uh, making little tweaks. Like for instance, uh, New Mexico is one of those weird states that uh, charges a gross receipt tax on any service you provide. So a management fee or a resident benefits fee, we have to charge a gross receipts or a sales tax. Uh, on top of that, Appfolio has known these, there's 13 states like this, have known about this and have been unwilling to provide, you know, change their software to fit this issue. Rentvine did it almost overnight, <laughs> you know, and so that's the difference of uh, maybe a smaller company that does care, care you know, and not a, and not a uh, open IPO, <laughs> uh, you know, a NASDAQ type of company, so... Yeah, that's pretty neat. So there, we did a good podcast with Mike Mengden about his experience in crossing over from uh, whatever software he was on into Rentvine. It was all positive. I mean, of course, there's going to be things that pop up out of the blue, but the team there really did Johnny on the spot, Cheetah Flip to make things happen and fix everything going on. Now, when are you fi uh, going live on Rentvine? So we're hoping to do it at the end of Q3 for the, the bulk of the portfolio. And we're talking about close to a thousand doors we're switching over there. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of preparation in that. We're actually training uh, a lot of our accounting staff now to uh, be prepared for that. It's, uh, it's not luckily, or unfortunately, it's not a flip of a switch, you know? <laughs> no, it never is. And, and the, anytime you change softwares, it's just a, that's like the most disruptive thing you can do in your business. It is a huge, huge pain. And so you only really want to do it once. And making the change is a challenge. So, you know, you guys have already detailed out a plan from what I understand and, and hearing about this later on. So kind of what's the plan and how are they doing it to where it's it's a, a painless as much as possible, right? It's a, probably a literal Band-Aid, but uh, talk, talk us through some of the, the process you have in that transition. Yeah, so right now what we're doing is we're discovering, I mean, through our uh, latest roll-up is that's using Rentvine, we're discovering how each and every process has to be done through Rentvine. And so that's all going into our training platform now. And what we want to do is have all of those uh, modules or the, you know, those lessons created before we actually go live as the company and they'll be, they'll be put into the, the intranet. And so um, it takes time to build that stuff out. And that's really why we're strategically waiting a little bit. So that way the team has the resources at hand and how to do that. And then obviously it's um, it, how do you, how do you make the least amount of impact on your clients? It's also client education. This is how your new owner statement's gonna read. This is how your new cash flow statement will read. When you'll get a 1099, how do you log into your portal and those types of things and make those as educational for them as well. So it's, um, it's uh, communication in front instead of them wondering and having to ask questions, which will only flood your phones and your emails. Enterprise Bank and Trust, the bank you all formerly knew as Seacoast Commerce Bank with the same team, the same benefits, and an expanded and improved product suite. Enterprise Bank & Trust specializes in trust accounts and business banking for property managers. One of their best features is a cash analysis program where they can assist in paying your property management-related invoices. 
Contact Allison at 619-988-6708 to learn more. Yeah. So let's talk through this. So what does your CFO, I believe her name is Miss Kristen. Yep. Uh, she's the very <laughs> lovely Miss Kristen Johnson, your wife, of course. So what is her feedback on RentVine? Is she pretty excited about this transition? She is uh, ecstatic. She loves it. Um, she's actually been one of the biggest driving forces of this transition. Um, she's, you know, she's probably, it's funny, she always has a saying, like, she could probably be paid a ton of money being a Atfolio expert because she knows it more than anybody that I know. And she's willing to give all of that expertise up to transition to something that's easier. Like, why does the beginning and ending balance not match this month? And those questions that we face as, as property managers that our clients ultimately lose trust in us when they see those issues. And we've got to solve those before they go out to our clients, you know, so she's, she's excited about it. Yeah. One of the challenges we're facing at RentWorks, just to give you a little vignette side story is, so we're down an accounting coordinator. And so we're thinking about hiring another remote team member to do more accounting to help Amy, our director of accounting. And so that remote team member could do nothing but look at owner statements and they could do nothing but review collections and they focusing on those types of things inside of the accounting business. But, you know, I always tell people that, you know, remote team members, they can do anything that you or I can do. Anybody in, yep. the, in the audience listening, they can do anything from a distance that you or I could do from a distance. And sometimes people are, they don't believe us, right? <laughs> they just, <laughs> you know, and I, and it's, a, it's kind of baffling because when, when the, it really smacks you in the face, Sean, about interviewing remote team members, especially potentially in Mexico or Philippines or wherever, there's some of the talent that comes across. And then it just takes one Zoom call. And you see the lights are on and they're speaking English in a way that you can understand easily. There may not even be an accent there at all because they may have gone to high school or college in the States. So it really is a pretty interesting deal, but uh, they work for far less and that you can make them far happier uh, by paying them what you pay them and get a really good solid team member. Now that aside, I mean, it's just an interesting side story about us. I want you to talk about the lessons learned, what you mentioned earlier and making this transition, doing this acquisition roll up and putting these partnerships together. Talk about a few of those that you might want to mention. Yeah, I, I think there's two big lessons learned for myself. Uh, number one is that we attempted to centralize as much as we possibly could and then have you know, local uh, boots on the ground field agents. Um, and what, I, what we learned pretty quick is that's probably not the best way to go. Uh, we wanted to decentralize command, um, have each marketplace be able to um, make decisions that are conducive to their marketplace. They're not, um, it's easy for a corporation to, you know, just be top down all the time, but it doesn't solve real world issues like it should. And those people, you know, we should never ignore the frontline staff feedback because they're the ones dealing with the challenges. And we- so Let's talk through that in specifics. Let's, let's talk through that. So let's say, for example, just in leasing, this is gonna be fun because it's gonna actually put it in context. Different markets charge different things for moving. There might be a security deposit, there might be a pet deposit, there might not be there. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things and credit scores. Credit score needs could be different in one market versus another market. And so it's very difficult for a corporation like Humboldt, as you started up to say, okay, everybody must have a 680 plus transunion tenant score to be considered for our properties. And some of your, your partners would say that will never fly. Ne yeah. Not going to do it. You know, you're, you're killing my business. And if a corporation said, nope, that's how it's going to be period, period, period. It would just 
cause all kinds of problems. So any specifics on that you want to touch on? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on one, uh, you know, application screening is a big one. Um, how we, how we, find uh, fair market value for a rental property is another. I mean, I don't think, um, I don't think just being at a, a corporation in, in somebody, you know, in Zimbabwe or something knows the market as well as that person that is in the marketplace, like a market direct, we call them market directors, but they're the, you know, broker in charge uh, typically. And uh, they know the marketplace better. And so, you know, try to do it, um, in-house or in a corp, uh, you know, the corporate office style just didn't work. Um, they don't know the nuances and they don't know what the, even though they can look on Zillow and the comps and all that stuff, uh, but also knowing like uh, tenant move-in fees, what's going to work in some marketplaces doesn't work in others. Um, like for instance, we do a, uh, a cleaning fee that we charge up front and then they don't have to clean the property at the end. It works great in our Charlotte office, doesn't work good in our Denver office we've tried. And so, you know, I think the learning lesson here is to test it in a marketplace. Don't just flip the switch, test it and see how it's going to work and then make a decision. Yeah. Great example. I love it. So let's switch gears completely. I mean, we talked about some of the lessons learned and challenges with rolling it up. I think it's a fantastic deal. Um, I want to talk specifically about something completely off in the right field that you and I touched on in the green room before we jumped on. And that's using the business as the means, as a platform, as a base to go out and do other things such as buying other businesses, doing a syndication, buying rental homes, building a commercial building. I don't know, starting your own little league team. I mean, whatever you're going to do, but you use the, the business of the property management as it can be built up to run more of itself, to give you that base and cash flow. For example, specifically, you're doing a syndication right now and you briefly touched on it. I want you to talk through that because I think that's absolutely just fascinating. I could listen to this stuff all day long. I'll bounce a couple of questions off you, but I know the audience out there would love to hear this because we all, you know, get trapped in our bubble in our lane of like property management, property management, company owners, you know, paying owners, uh, you know, surviving with our employees, et cetera. We all get trapped in that, in that blinder lane, but you're doing stuff on your right and left. And that's, what's really cool to hear. So talk to me about that syndication you got going on. Yeah. So, you know, just to hint on, uh, you know, investing in general, I think property management is like the gateway drug of good investing in real estate. And if you're not investing in real estate as a property manager, you're missing the big point here. We don't have retirements to go to 401ks or you can, but the reality is, is that real estate is just such a great investment vehicle you should not miss out on. So to get to the point, I, you know, we, my wife and I built up a nice portfolio of, of residential and, and commercial properties. We, we love those. They cash flow great, right? But to take it to the next level and how to build the property management company was the next, the natural next, next step was to syndicate something. And so we found a uh, off-market 40-plex in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in a uh, new and upcoming uh, neighborhood right across from Kirtland Air Force Base. We're really excited about it. But really, the syndication, the whole point of that is to find and to help other investors achieve their investment goals through the, you know, the network of people we already work with. And so that way, it, it is passive income, just like their rental property because they utilize a property manager. 
it's passive income for them that they could get a nice return and they're not getting the headache and the gray hair and the, you know, hair pulling out of dealing with the rental property on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, that's really why we chose to go the next level. And, and of course, I've been looking at this strategy for several years. Um, I have uh, some good friends that do it or that are coaching me through this and it's a, it's a big challenge, but um, um, it's fun um, and it helps other people achieve their investment goals. So are you able to talk to some of the numbers if I ask you direct questions? I could talk some numbers, yes. Some, some gen generality. <laughs> yeah, because so. it has not closed yet. It will. Uh, we're actually renegotiating close date to uh, August 30th uh, as we speak. Okay. So, so let, let's talk general terms. Let's say it's worth a million bucks, right? Sure. So how many slices of the pie did you carve out of that? Yeah, so great question. So typically, and they could be structured a million ways, but typically how they work is that you, you get partners uh, that are the general partners, and they're the ones that are going to operate the, the apartment complex and the day-to-day -day decisions. Um, and they split the shares, usually 50, 50, 60, 40, 70, 30, something like that. We did 50, 50 on ours. Um, and so those partners are 50% owners and the other 50% owners are those investors that want limited partnership. And they, you know, they provide the capital um, to pull down the down payment and the CapEx expenses, um, reserves, banking reserves, those types of things. And, um, and then you split shares or, or profits accordingly to their shares. Now, some syndicators like myself do a preferred return. I like preferred returns. People like to see a return on their money and I want to give them the first hit on their money. Um, there's some that will say, you know, we'll just split profits 50-50 throughout the whole deal and we'll disseminate it based off of how much you put into the deal. I like preferred returns just because I, you know, for me as an investor, I'd much rather see a return because I'm putting my capital out there than for hoping for, I don't like hopium, <laughs> you know what I mean, uh, performance. So I want to see a return for my investors before I see a return. So a couple wins that are underneath the surface that people may not realize, and I'm, I don't know the deal that you've got going on here, but if you're able to be the broker consummating the deal, you make a commission. Now, I don't know if you are or not, but just My think wife of that. Is, yep. Okay, is. there you go. So Kristen's making a commission as the, the broker, uh, realtor consummating the deal. You as a management company could be potentially winning as now you are managing the structure and you may not because it's now we're cookie, but let's say it's in your local market. You could create your own management resource. You basically you're acting as a business development person for yourself and creating a whole nother section of management. Maybe you're doing that. Maybe you're not, but I'm just throwing it out there. Yep. And in addition, you have the monthly cash flow that you're going to be receiving. You're going to be managing those funds. Uh, then if there's an exit strategy, let's say two years, 20 years, you may be the outgoing com uh, broker that sells that particular property again, potentially winning. So going back to your original statement, property management is literally the epicenter of that entire syndication transaction. Uh, what am I missing about that? What, what did I forget? <laughs> Nothing. I think, I think you're exactly right. And just to hint on the, the property management side, it's a great way to build your portfolio. We're in a marketplace where, every accidental landlord is looking to sell their property right now. And 
if you want to help investors uh, get a return, all those landlords that are selling a property, they're either going to pay capital gains taxes. They may do a 1031 if that's going to exist in the future. We don't know yet. Um, but they typically are going to put their money somewhere. Maybe it's call, paying for their college tuition or whatever, their kid's college tuition, but they may need another uh, avenue to put their money into. And this is a great way to, uh, to help them uh, get a return on their money. Um, they'll have cash heavy and, you know, you can buy, there's a, uh, there's a couple, um, uh, couple folks in our in our community that syndicate single family rental properties you get buy a big portfolio of rental properties um, and syndicate those out with investors I think that's a great strategy if that's your niche um, go for it it's a great way to invest and uh, to build your portfolio yeah it's going to be interesting you'll see how this this year plays out one of my largest investors is selling all of his rental properties uh, I believe it's 15 in total and I'm actually being the broker on this so it's kind of like Okay, I haven't sold homes in four or five years, but I'm <laughs> jumping back in to help him sell his just because uh, I was, you know, he was one of the first clients I really brought on. I really want to make sure he's taken care of. I might make mistakes here and there, but uh, at the end of the day, they're on me and not somebody else that I, you mm -hmm. know, pawned him off on. But he's taking all those, selling them, and then putting all that right into the market, into a big giant uh, Vanguard fund of his. Oh, wow. And so this is one of the smartest gentlemen I've ever met. Uh, he was a former CEO and you know, he's just a super sharp cat. And, and so he's putting all that in there. So there must be some sort of indication. And a big part of why they're doing that now is the market is absolute hottest ever been. It's like high water time. So sell everything. So next year we may see a downturn. We don't know. Interest rates could flatten out. The administration could put a bunch of new crazy stuff out there. And next thing you know, uh, all the sales side just kind of flattens out and things go back to AKA normal. And that might be where property managers say, okay, Mr. Reluctant Landlord, I know you're dying to get out of the market. You know, let's talk Turkey. Let's do, let's do a wrap. Let's do an owner financing. Let's just, you know, try to get conventional financing and pay, let's pay it out cash flow. Let's, let's talk Turkey. I know several PMs that are buying up properties left and right. And I just, I'm baffled to see like, where are they even coming from? Because in this market, anything that pops up on the, on the, the real estate market for sale, you know, under a certain threshold is gone in minutes competing offers. And it's just a really, really difficult time to purchase. And so when the market does cool, I hope that the property managers that are listening to this, they're in line with their mindset to be able to go out and potentially acquire a few assets. Doesn't have to be, you don't have to buy 20 in a day. Maybe you buy one a year or two a year, but you should be setting up your processes and your systems inside of your office that if an owner says they want to sell, you, the business owner, you, the portfolio, manager should be having the right of first refusal. You should be taking a look at that and say, oh, I understand you want to sell, Mr. Seller. Well, how about I buy? We have a buyer, me, you, a seller, you. And next thing you know, you buy and you turn it into a rental property in your own management company. Yep. And that's the secret to the key to building wealth inside of property management is creating a system to where you can gather those assets and put them under your control in any manner, fashion you can. It doesn't have to be a straight up writing a check. Get mm -hmm. creative. Right. Yeah. That might be the key. No, well said. I think, uh, I think that's one thing that we as an industry miss is that we don't have to be conventional loan mindset folk. I don't have to put 20% down on everything, go get a conventional loan and buy a property. Think outside of that. I mean, it's, I have a bunch of properties that are what we call real estate con, uh, contracts or subject to um, that the owner financed. And I, you know, some of might put zero down. I had an owner one time that just, I hate my rental property so bad. And he has a great, had a great property. 
I will sell it to you at 0% interest if you'll just refinance it out in five years. <laughs> Why wouldn't I do that? You know what I mean? It's just mind blowing. So, I mean, think creatively. I think there's, uh, there's a lot of ways to use other people's money to build your own wealth. Um, and you need to just be a steward of that money. Um, that's what's important. All right, let's talk case study. I'll give you an example of that exactly. So six, seven years ago, I had an owner who was dying to get out of their property. They were moving to El Paso. They had a little home on the Southeast side. Uh, it was maybe valued at, at that point, like 90, their loan was like 82 or something like that. And, and so I ended up basically doing a subject to a, mm -hmm. Uh, non-qualifying assumption, a wrap. There's probably five other terms for this exact <laughs> scenario. You know, it, it gets a little confusing, but essentially I took over payments and then I used everything changed hands. You know, the, the, the property was in my name. I paid taxes on it. I got the tax credit for it, but the loan was in their name. And so the loan stayed in their name. Last week, I closed on that property and made a hundred thousand dollars. Yep. Uh, it's, so it's fantastic <laughs> where I'm going. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you that's an actual case study because if you don't have your ears open to some of these, you're not going to know. So what am I doing with that hundred K I'm rolling it into a commercial property. I'm monopolizing sure. that, right? I've talked about this before to where, you know, the whole monopoly thing, you sell four rental properties and you buy a, a hotel Well, I'm selling rental properties and I'm building a commercial building for RentWorks, which is, you know, a, a, one of my investment strategies for this coming next 12 months is get that commercial property up and running. And so, you know, I, I talked to people about this and you and I just kicked it around. I'm just giving people a real world case study because it's one thing to hear about this crap from Tony Robbins, right? Or Grant Cardone, but no, this is meager old you and I, we're doing these deals, you know, which we could do it on a daily basis, but they do fall in your lap and you gotta be ready and be able to jump on it and say, okay, Mr. Owner, let's get creative. I can solve your problem right now. I'll take over the payments. I'll take over the maintenance. We do this, we do that, we're done. And then, you know, we'll have a balloon payment in five years if you want. Just like what your your investor mentioned is buy me out in five years and we'll call it good. And you're like, where do I, where do we, how, how many of these can I get, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the key takeaways there is to be willing to take the first look, make sure that you put your eyes on it before it hits the marketplace and be the easy button. People want easy. They don't want to have to call a realtor and figure out what, you know, the BPO and all this other crap, you know, and then put it on the marketplace, kick the tenant out. I lose my cash flow. All those things. Look, let's keep the tenant. I'll just take it off your hands right now. We'll solve all your stress. You don't even have to worry about it. I'll even pay your mortgage payment. Even if you give me the login to your mortgage payment, I'll log in and I'll pay and I'll put it on auto payment and we'll never, ever skip a beat. Uh, okay. People like that easy button. And one thing about that specifically is the big objection that people misunderstand is they think the lender on that side is going to call the note due. Right. Okay. It could happen. And I say could with air quotes, it could happen, but I have never heard of that. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I don't know why a lender would ever want to do that. It would be a bad head. business decision on the lender's part. <laughs> Correct. Bad business decision, especially if you never give them reason to. Yep. If you're making those payments on an unqualifying assumption, a subject to wrap, whatever term you want to call it, you're making those payments like clockwork. There's no reason for that lender to call it due. So right. it's, it's, a, it's one of the things that we wanted to dispel because people might say that right away. Oh, the lender could call it due and you're, you're in a bad position. All right. Yeah, they could. But it, in the history of the history of reality, it doesn't happen. Why would they? Mm -hmm.
yeah, I've never heard it happening. I mean, it could, but I mean, it's just just not a smart business move on their part. Yeah, so. exactly. So this conversation went from home vault into <laughs> rent buying into syndication. Uh, kind of a cool chat that we had. And so I'm really excited to see what you guys can do in the home vault situation. Uh, one thing I may have forgot to ask you was the home vault Academy. Talk to me about that. Cause I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Home vault Academy was, uh, was something that Tony thought of uh, and just really had a huge vision for it. And the whole point is to provide resources for the people that we love the most as, as fellow property managers. Uh, we get, we empathize, we sympathize for the stress that this industry has. And we just want to be able to provide great resources. So people uh, in you know, across the entire marketplace can be better property managers. I, you know, it's, it's the typical, all, all hot raising tides, raise all boats. You know, it's, that's the whole point. We want to help other people uh, achieve their goals in, in property management. And obviously it's a, it's an avenue for us. If somebody's really struggling and they're just sick of it, you know, look us up. We're, we, we are looking for uh, expansion and roll-ups. So um, that's the whole point of it. Yeah, exactly. So where do they find a little bit more information on this stuff? Yeah, Home Vault, uh, Home Vault Academy is on Home Vault Academy's uh, Facebook group. I think you just search Home Vault Academy. Uh, HomeVault.com is our website. You'll see our various marketplaces uh, in there. They can they can call me if uh, if they want. My I could give my cell phone if, if that's what they're looking for. But uh, happy to happy to support anyway. I love talking about property management and talking shop and especially real estate investing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. That's why I want to bring you on because I think we'd have a good combo at least about both. So, Sean, I really had enjoyed our conversation today. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you at the next property manager mastermind conference in May of 2022 at the Red Rock Resort in Las Vegas. Look forward to seeing you there. Any parting comments? Yes. Um, parting comment is when you book that, make sure it's clear on my schedule so I could be there. <laughs> but Will I'm do, excited for it, man. I appreciate it. Will do, my friend. Thanks again for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Imagine a world where the phone doesn't ring, but tenant leads still get pre-qualified and scheduled where in-person showings get coordinated automatically in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where occupants and owners are automatically notified of showings and leasing reports. Or imagine, no one has to show your rentals and they get leased faster than ever, safely and securely. That's the world of Tenant Turner. Come learn more about our beautiful scheduling software and world-class customer support. Call us, 888-976-4638, or visit www.tenantturner.com. This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.